Welcome. How's everybody doing? Good. I graduated from college in 2001, so 17 years ago, and I went to a small liberal arts school called Asbury University. How many people have heard of Asbury University out there? Heard of it? A couple of you? Okay, good. Yeah, we're, we're a thriving, tiny uh, college in the middle of Kentucky, six and a half hours away. And when I graduated, the week that I graduated, uh, my parents were going to come down. They are from Michigan. They have a, about a six and a half hour drive to get to where I was, and they would come down occasionally when I was in college. But both of my parents are teachers, and my sister is eight years younger than me. So when I was a senior in college, she was an eighth grader. So uh, any visit uh, meant that they had to get back for school on Monday. And the weekend of my graduation, there was uh, or my college graduation. There was a handful of events around campus. There was. Uh, a class dinner on Saturday night. There was uh, a morning baccalaureate the day of graduation at our, our uh, college chapel. And then there was the actual uh, commencement, which was at, at Asbury at our Luce Center. Luce uh, was our athletic center, so at a big gym. And there was probably, gosh, I don't know, just it was in the hundreds uh, in my graduating class. So it wasn't a huge class. Well, my parents came down for uh, all of it. However, they had to teach on Monday. So they said, hey, when the commencement's over, and I, th- I believe the ke- commencement was about 2 p.m., and so um, it finished around 4. They said, as soon as the commencement's over, we got to bolt home because we got to teach in the morning. Ginny's got school in the morning. I said, that's fine. No big deal. I mean, uh, you guys got to do what you got to do. A month before graduation, I had gotten a job in Florida, in Jacksonville, Florida. And so I was going to go down there uh, to where my job was and kind of get myself set up. And then my parents were going to join me a couple weeks later, get the house uh, in order in Florida, and I was going to have my first uh, big boy job. So that weekend comes. My parents uh, and I go to the dinner. We go to the baccalaureate on Sunday morning, and then we go to commencement. And again, commencement was uh, about two hours long, about four o'clock. It finished up. If you can imagine, the athletic center was kind of on a hill. It's a little hilly, hilly uh area where I went to school, and so the athletic center is on this hill, and there was this big, just beautiful green um, hill, uphill, downhill, inclined, uh, where people would sometimes lay out towels and sunbathe and as much as you can in Kentucky or whatever they would do, and that was when the commencement was over, that's where a lot of families came and gathered. Families came from far and wide. Some people went to Asbury that lived close by, and so Grandma and Grandpa came, aunts and uncles came, brothers and sisters. It was a big celebration. And so commencement finished, and I went outside. My parents were like, okay, we'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Congratulations. We hug each other. They go say goodbye. They're gone within three minutes after commencement. They, they got to drive home. And I was out on the hill, and there was literally all of my classmates, all of my fellow graduates, were there with families. A lot of them gathered, a lot of them taking pictures, a lot of them laughing and joking and uh, letting the little brother wear the, the flat cap and whatever it is. And I just, I was, I was in that spot where I'm like, oh, I don't want to interrupt your conversation. And, and, and so I sat there in the midst of everyone else celebrating. And I, rever- I remember very strongly feeling alone. Like surrounded by hundreds of people and yet completely and totally isolated. 
I was about to embark on adulthood, you know, out on my own. And this was a transitional moment. And I sat by myself while everyone else took pictures. It's no one's fault. It's just kind of how it happened. But in that moment, I felt sick to my stomach. I didn't even think about it much until a couple years later, I was talking about someone else's commencement and that came up. And as I told that story, I told it whimsically. And as I told it, I started to tear up a little bit. I'm like, oh, that hit. I didn't see that coming. There's something that sticks with you about the, when you feel isolated, even in the midst of people. And that story kept coming back and like poking me as I was studying scripture for this sermon. Typically, I like to take a piece of scripture. Pastor Greg will give me a couple weeks. Hey, I want you to preach on this date. And so I've got four weeks. I, I don't have to do what Pastor Greg does where every week I got to turn out new good stuff. Uh, I, get to, I get time. So um, he's the miracle worker and I'm the guy that's like, I'm cherry picking the best stories and the best stuff. And so he gave me time. Hey, you're going to be July 1st. Uh, we're going through this series called Better, and uh, your scripture is this. Well, one, I put it off a little bit. And then two, last week, uh, Houghton experienced record-breaking floods that included 60 sinkholes, and draw went up there, and we were there for a week. And we did a ton of work in the community helping people who were, uh, had to be mucked out or had flooded basements or flooded first floors or needed supplies. And I got home Monday night, and I was like, Shoot, I got to preach Sunday. <laughs> so, um, this, the thing that kept poking me, the thing I, there was a thing I didn't really want to talk about, so I kept going back to the scripture like, maybe it says something else. Maybe something else hits me funny. And it never did. And so, um, well, let's just get into it. The, it's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. But before that, in the middle of it, I'm going to read a psalm. Because the writer of Hebrews in those 15 verses, actually quotes four or five verses of a psalm. And so I figured, why not, let's see what he's quoting. If you've been listening to any of the other uh, sermons, uh, the better sermons that uh, Pastor Greg or Jeff have been talking about, then you know that the writer of Hebrews is writing to a primarily converted Jewish audience who had been the church for 10 years ish years, and we're starting to feel the social pressures of going back to the way that they used to do it. They were tempted to drift away. The early parts of Hebrews are all about warnings against drifting away. And so in chapter 3, the writer references Psalm 95. What is Psalm 95? In a word, it was, it's part of a 15-psalm series called the Royal Psalms. It was written by King David. And in it, um, it I, I should say this, in, in Jewish, um, Jewish tradition, there were sometimes morning prayer services, and they were called Shir Shel Yam. And every morning they would meet and pray and sing a psalm. And there were seven psalms that were dedicated to each day of the week. So every Sunday they would sing a certain psalm. Every Monday it would be a certain psalm. Every Tuesday. Well, for Shir Shel Yam, Psalm 95 to the Jewish people was their Wednesday psalm. So, other than being useless trivia that you could use on Jeopardy later, potentially, I'm telling you this because when the writer references this, this is not a deep cut that he's referencing, or she is referencing. This is not something that they're pulling out of nowhere and throwing it. When, they, when the writer references Psalm 95, the reader, the Jewish reader goes, oh, I know this one. This is like one of the hits. 
It's like, you, you, you're saying the chorus to me, but I know the verses too, you know? So I just want to quickly go through Psalm 95, and it says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And then at this point, this is where the Hebrew author uh, quotes this psalm, starting here to the end. It says, Today, if, you on, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah or as you did at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are people who, whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. A little bit of a tone change, maybe? If you, if, if you listen through that, the first seven or eight verses were um, a, a call to worship God. But the first seven or eight verses were worship God because of an incentive, because he's great, because he's made the earth, because we are his people. It is incentive, it's an incentive for praise. The second half is um, a call to worship God with a warning. So the first half of chapter 90, 90, Psalm 95 is worship God because, because of who he is. The second is worship God because other people didn't, and here's the warning that I want to give you. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is referencing. References a warning. So now, let's go to the actual scripture. That was just an appetizer, okay? No charge on that one. That's on the house. All right? Chapter 3 of Hebrews, where he's just quoted Psalm 95. And he's brought the warning out and he stuck it right in the middle. Let's read the context and then uh, see what, it, what he's trying to say or she is trying to say. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And then he quotes Psalm 95, the warning. He says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, Their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. End quote. The last four verses after it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart 
that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold firmly till the end our original conviction. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The writer of Hebrews repeats some stanzas over and over in this section. And I thought it's worth at least digging into them because some of them, as I mentioned, hit me hard and made me, are going to make me tell stories I don't want to tell. But it, it's an experience that I feel like enlightens, at least from my view, what the writer is saying. There are three repeating themes in chapter 3. The first is the idea of hardening your hearts. You caught that, right? He only said it about a dozen times. He said it in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In verse 13, he says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And then verse 15, he repeats, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. The writer is really concerned with us hardening our hearts. And so I thought, what does hardening your heart mean? You, you know how you hear a word over and over constantly, and then after a while, you, you're like, I don't even know what that word means anymore. I've just, I'll just harden your heart, harden your heart. So the opposite is soft. Soft is something that can be molded, can be crafted. If you have hard clay, it's hard to mold it into what you want it to be. If you have soft clay, it's easy to mold it into what you want it to be. And so it seems like there is a responsibility on our part as a follower of Jesus to make sure that our hearts are soft for him to mold rather, hard, rather than hard, which would make his job harder in making us. I was, um, I moved to South Carolina uh, in my mid-20s. And I remember a friend of mine from college got married. And he got married in the mountains of North Carolina, middle of nowhere. Windy roads, up and down, beautiful country. In the middle of these mountains, I visited uh, for this wedding when I lived in South Carolina. And some friends, some mutual friends from school said, hey, uh, when the wedding's over, there's a casino close by. We should go and have some fun. And I was like, nobody from my church is around here. None of my friends are around here. And what does it hurt? Let's just go. So we went to the casino. And honestly, like, if you're going to ask me, right, you know, carte blanche, is it wrong to go to a casino? I don't think, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I'm not going to say yes or no. I know that I went and I sat down at a table and started to play started to like it. This is like a little bit of a, a buzz I got. I put uh, chips down and it felt like I had control over the cards, even though I had absolutely no control over the cards, right? I would, I would split when I was supposed to split and it just didn't work, you know. I just, I, or sometimes it would work and I had a certain amount of chips from playing either poker or blackjack, roulette, Finally, my friends were like, hey, you ready to go? Like, they, it was one of those things where I kept sitting at the table, and they were done, and they were like, so are you, are you going to go? And I'm like, yeah, 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 two more hands. And I kept playing, 
And finally, I'm like, let's go. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I got my chips, and I'm like, hang on. Let me just, I'll put them down on these. And I, I played on the way out. I remember that day. Because I remember I got a taste of something. I walked away with money. And uh, when you're a youth pastor in, the, in your 20s, I'm going to tell you, you're not, uh, not exactly building your retirement. So there was like a, ooh, I want a little something here. And it turns out that casino was only about an hour from where I lived. Also, I was a huge sports fan, and so I would uh, watch television, and, and every time I'd look online to see what the games were, there's always this little thing in parentheses of plus three, negative two, plus two and a half, plus 250. It was gambling. And I looked online, and all of a sudden I realized how easy it was to just put something down, and I think this team's better than this team. I'll, I'll put a little something on that. The thing about South Carolina that I didn't mention was that I had a very hard time connecting with the community. I didn't really have close friends there. It was the first time in my life that I had not been able to connect. I don't know if it was just Southern culture and I'm way too Northern, or if it, I don't know what it was. Maybe I'm just abrasive, uh, which don't tell me that afterward. I know it already. Um, I don't know what it was, but I just was not connecting. And so I felt in this place in my life very alone. And so I started to make trips. I got, I got half a day off. I'm going to head out. To the, the casino's only an hour away. And I started to go, and as I drove out there, I was like, ah, this probably isn't the best idea. But then I would say to myself, yeah, it's fine. You, you, you deserve to blow off some steam. You're not, in, you're not in a great spot right now. This is fun for you. As long as, you know, you don't lose the house, you're fine. And I would go, and I would sit down in the chair, I don't know if any of you ever experienced this, but I sat down in the chair and I'd start playing and I'd go, I'm only going to bet this much. And I'd run out fast. And I'm like, well, guess I'll hit the ATM. So I'd go and hit pull out more money and I'd sit down. And this became a pattern. Game's on. Let me see if I can win some money there. I got a week off, weekend off here. I can maybe go out there twice this weekend. And nobody knew. Nobody had to know. And pretty soon it became a thing where I was doing it regularly. And there would be months where I would have bills at the end of the month and I didn't have the money. And so then I would just pull it out of my credit card because that's what credit's for. So all of a sudden my credit card grew. And it was never really a major issue. I mean, I regularly lied about it because I didn't want the church to know that I was, you know, commuting to the, uh, the casino regularly. And then shortly after that is when my dad had a stroke, and um, after a couple months of soul searching, I'm like, I need to go home. Family's home. I, I, you know, what am I doing down here? I'm not even happy down here. Let's just go up there. And I came home, and uh, much to my delight, shortly after I got home, I realized there's three casinos right in downtown Detroit, just right here. And the thing is, is when I moved back, I took a job, and I had a couple friends, but it's not like they were keeping tabs on me, and I could just go. There's nothing stopping me. I have a car, and 75 goes literally right there. So if I had time off, I would go. I actually, uh, when I first moved back, I stayed with my folks in the, my dad's uh, recovery, and I would tell them, hey, I'm gonna, just going to stay down in Clarkston where I work. It's a 45-minute drive from where they live to where I was working at the time. Hey, I'm just going to stay in Clarkston tonight, which was not totally true because it just meant that I was going to pull a late night at the casino. And it came to a head 
about a year after I was back in Michigan that a friend of mine was working at an event in Las Vegas, and he said, do you want to come to Vegas with me? I'm going to be here for three days. I have a comped room. And I was like, ah, yes. This fix that I kept getting, I'm like, oh, well, then it's going to be all around me. And so I flew out there for just over three days in Vegas, and I spent less than two hours with my friend. Barely saw him. I came home with a giant debt. I mean, sometimes I'd win, but obviously the losing is worse than the winning. I came home, and I'm like, what am I doing? I, didn't, I went out to see Mike. I didn't even see Mike. I sat at a table with, you know, trying to make friends with dealers. So that was when I was like, I need to get help. So I found a, a group and um, had a couple relapses shortly after, but been clean for about eight, nine years. And uh, tomorrow could just strike again. I wasn't strong enough to handle my own urges. But the thing about it was when I first started, when I think back to the first time I went to the casino, I had that like, ah, should I be doing this? Is this the best way for me to live right now? And then the second time when I drove out there, I was like, ah, I might have to lie. Like I felt weird about lying. And it wasn't long after that that it stopped feeling weird. I just did it. I didn't feel bad. It's like this is something I do, and I deserve this, and no, no one could tell me otherwise. When I think through the process of how that happened and how that developed in my life, I think of how somewhere early on, my heart became hard. Someone could have pointed out, hey, you have an issue with this, and I would have at least heard them. But after a few times, I, didn't, I wouldn't have hurt anybody. My heart was hard. And that happens anytime you have a habit or an addiction or something pulling at you. Whether, that's, whether, whether, the, whether it's uh, you're a perpetual gossip in the office or anywhere else, and you just justify it by saying, well, I just tell it how it is. Whether that's uh, your internet habits and you're like, look, no one else is around, no one sees this, it's not that big of a deal, it doesn't really affect me. Whether that's the extra three or four drinks that you have after the first couple. Whether, whatever the habit is, if you have it in you, I guarantee when it first started, you felt weird about it. And if somebody would have said something, you were at least open to going, well, maybe I'm wrong, but now you don't think it, you're fine, it's fine. That is what I consider your heart being hardened. You, don't, you are not open to being formed. I can tell you for years, it took a major thing happening for me to go, I have to change. And I, it was by the grace of God that this major thing happened that I was like, okay, I got to find a community. I got to find people who know how to support someone who's got this issue that I have. It took something major and so the writer of Hebrews is saying it over and over, do not let your heart be hardened. Because once that happens, it's really hard for you to get right back on track with what God wants you to be and what he wants you to do. Because pretty soon you formed a habit and you don't even think about it anymore. So 
I don't know where you are today and what's in you and what you started to justify and maybe it's the way you treat just this one person in your family and, and it's okay or this one person at work or maybe it's this one habit that you do or this one way that you spend your resources in a way that is against what God would want you to do or be and maybe that happened for a little bit and you felt bad but now it's done. The writer of Hebrews is talking to you and he's saying, do not let your heart be hardened. You were meant to be molded by the builder of the house and you are the house. It is our responsibility to let our heart be open, let let ourselves be open to shaping. It does not matter if you are 78, 58, 28, or just plain eight. Wherever you are in your life, You are called, we are called as a church to be open to the molding of our builder. I was in a church once where there was a guy on a mission uh, committee and we were talking about, hey, how can the church reach out to fill in the blank? And in the middle of the committee, I'll I'll always remember this. He said, yeah, I've been serving in the church about 40 years. I'm kind of done. Just another layer of hardening over his heart. Because God's never done with you. So the writer of Hebrews says, do not let your heart be hardened. The second thing that the writer says over and over, verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his, heart, his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says it in verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened. And then verse 15, as has just been said, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Man, I know myself and I know how lazy I can get. And I will procrastinate until it is absolutely necessary to deal with whatever it is I have to deal with. And this writer says, the longer you wait to address this thing that is sitting in you, that is harming you, that is harming your relationship with God and is harming his church, the longer you wait, the harder your heart gets. Because habits form before you even realize it. Ask the people you live with about your habits. Some of your habits you may not even realize because they just happened and you didn't actually address them. And as soon as they're habits, they're much more powerful than your brain because habits are built in you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, do not put this off. Do not say, I'll deal with this eventually. I'll get help you know, down the road. I'll talk to somebody soon enough. He's saying, today is your day. And church, you are sitting here, and some of you I know, because I, God would not have put me through this torture of having to go back to the story that I just went through. This all week, I do not believe he made me do this so that I could just be a showman up here. I believe that some of you today are carrying something that has hardened your heart. And God wants to mold you. And he is saying to the author of Hebrews, today, Not tomorrow, not down the road. Deal with this thing because I have bigger things for you. I have a better way for you. Do not put off till tomorrow what needs to be done in your heart today. There is an urgency that God has this relationship with you and he does not want you to sit in this thing that is harming you and the others around you. So what is that thing? Who is that person that you've justified treating the way you treat them? What is the language you use that you've justified using? What is the habit 
or the stuff? What is it? In the words of Hebrews, what is the sin that is shaped a coated hard shell around your heart? Don't wait. Because God has better things for you. You are living in a dark place and he wants you out today. The third thing that keeps coming up. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling. He says, we share in it. And then in verse 6, it says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. And then in verse 13, it says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. You know what may have changed my journey? If there was someone in my life that I was in relationship with who knew what I was going through and would have just encouraged me, maybe I wouldn't have felt the need to try to find that fix on a gambling site or at a blackjack table if someone would have just encouraged me. Maybe if I had been part of a community, you know, this, this whole uh, analogy of drifting away from Jesus, from drifting away from what we believe and what we're called to. Drifting happens when you're on a raft and the waves slow, you fall asleep on a raft and you wake up two hours later and you're a half mile down the, the beach and you're sunburnt, at least I am, right? That's drifting. Drifting doesn't happen when the rafts are tied together. You don't drift away from God because you're all moving together. And so the writer of Hebrews, over and over and over, in chapter 3, while he urges everyone to not put this off and to not let their heart be hardened, he says in the middle of it, we are his house. We have a shared calling. And so today, encourage one another. In a tradition that I studied in college, there is a piece of Christianity that believes that there is a second level you can attain called sanctification, where you can be made holy, where you can be made uh, almost without sin to an extent. It was, it's a very murky, hard to explain thing. But what it says is you can attain another level. But the thing that always rubbed me the wrong way is that if it's just about me, maybe, but it's never just about me. Today, you may be hearing this sermon, and you may go, I don't have a thing that I really, I, my heart isn't hardened. But this letter isn't to you specifically. This letter is to us. And so if you're sitting there, and you're following God, and, and doing what you're called to do, and becoming what you're, uh, you're called to be, that's great. But you're part of a bigger thing. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to reach out to each other. Encourage one another. There is this desire by all of us, I believe, when we talk about church and faith, to make it uh, just a private thing and to be anonymous. And maybe it's just uh, a fact of how our buildings are built. But if you notice where we're sitting right now, the lights are on up here and it's dark back there. And there are times when I'm not feeling like I really want to be in community, where I scoot in, usually that door, and I try to find the pew furthest in the back, and I sit on the end, and I make it so that it's really hard for someone else to sit next to me, because I just want my space, 
I don't want anybody to talk to me or discuss things. Maybe a, maybe a hey. Not even a handshake. Don't, make, don't, don't shake my hand. Like I, just, I, I want my space, and I don't want people to know who I am. And you think of every major church growing in Metro Detroit, whether it's Kensington or Woodside, or you fill in the blank of what these big churches are. A lot of them are set up in the type of situations where there's, uh, there's lights on the stage and there's darkness out there, and you can easily get in and out and not have to talk to anybody. And I know that feels good. But the writer of Hebrews says, if you're part of a community, I'm calling you to take responsibility for each other. Maybe you don't have a thing that has hardened your heart, but somebody else might. And I think back when I was 25 years old, working at a church in South Carolina, and no one knew my deepest, darkest things. And maybe I wouldn't just throw it out there, because obviously they're deep and they're dark and they're disgusting, it's embarrassing. Maybe I lose my job because I have a gambling issue. And so maybe I don't keep that in, but maybe just a little checking in to see how, how you're doing. Everything all right? And at least I know, well, that, that guy cares about me. That woman cares about me. It doesn't have to be anything major. It doesn't have to be a 10-minute therapy session. It, but it can be more than just a shaking hands and uh, morning. It can be a, what's your name again? Jeff? Okay. And then the next week, was it Jeff? It's good to see you, man. Just stuff like that. <laughs> I think of like my interactions with Michelle and I when we leave church and we're in the car and we're like, and, and we're checking each other like, what was that person's name? Was it Mark? Yeah, I like Mark. Mark's cool. You know, like you slowly start to, I don't know if you guys have that. Maybe you've been ingrained in this church a long time, so you know everybody else in here, which is great. But some people don't. And just that little bit of encouragement can maybe help us have some urgency with our own stuff. Because somebody else cares enough to encourage me. We're responsible for each other. I was talking to Jeff about this sermon, and I, was, I had this idea. I'm like, we should uh, have a party. Like, a, like, a, like this, this message is about the stuff we're dealing with, but the bigger message is like, we have to pursue Jesus relentlessly together as a community. So let's have a party. And he's like, that's a great idea. You want to give out like um, favors or like party hats? And I'm like, no, let's, let's like in the middle of the sermon, I'll lead everybody out to this connection center. And they'll be like, it'll be decorated and we'll have music and, and there'll be cake, of course. And, and, and we'll, I'll, I'll say, everybody has to like say encouraging things to three people. And he was like, dude, there's no way that's working. And I was like, man. But the thing about it was like, that was me trying to avoid the heart issue. Well, let's make it about a party. But the spirit of that still remains. The writer of Hebrews is using Jewish tradition in Psalm 95 as a warning and saying, look, don't be like people who have heart in their hearts and wandered and lived less than their best life. God has a better life for you. He has a better team for you to be on. And whatever that thing is that you started to coat over and harden, whatever that behavior is that you're exhibiting toward your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, whatever that thing is that might be just eating away at your insides, don't put it off another day. Today is the day to soften your heart and let God mold you. Let me reread this last part. It's verse 6. 
Verse 4, I'm sorry, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. I always want to get to a place where I've just arrived, where I've settled, where I've finally figured everything out. And what I realize is Christ is constantly building the house. Even if it's, even if my room is almost done, the house is still in progress. There's still pardon our dust signs everywhere. He's still molding and shaping other people, his whole house. And so I have to be open to be shaped at all times and take that thick, hard shell off of my heart because he may have something else for me. I can tell you that at the age of 25, I would not have imagined that I would be doing what I'm doing now, and I think a lot of you would say the same things about your life, but I think you'll be able to say the same thing again 14 years from now if you let Jesus mold your hearts. What are you dealing with today? Don't put it off anymore. Do not harden your heart because God has a better way for you to be a part of a better team. I like our team. I like our team. Let's be better. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thank you that you mold us, that you don't leave us in one spot, that you don't let us just devolve into whatever our cares and impulses take us toward, but that you have a plan for your house. God, help us to take responsibility for each other, encouraging one another. And not just as like, oh, it's nice to encourage, but God, help us to really take that on as a responsibility. And Lord, if we're holding something on that's hardening our hearts, help us deal with that today. What do you want us to do? What action do you want us to take? God, we want to be better. We want to be closer to Jesus because we know he's better. Unharden our hearts, soften our hearts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.